0: Ladies and gentlemen and hockey fans of all ages, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Hockey Fan Chat. I am your host, Randy Dillon. In this latest episode of the Hockey Fan Chat, I am joined by Taj Dollywall, as we will be talking about the Vancouver Canucks. You can catch Taj on his podcast called The Large Chat. They are very good podcast. They give a lot of good opinions about the Canucks and other stuff. We talk about the struggles of the Canucks so far this season. Is Travis Green on the hot seat? If he does get fired, who will replace him? The struggles of Elias Pedersen. And what is missing from this team to be competing and being a very good team? Well, Tash, thank you so much for joining us on the Hockey Fan Chat today. I'm excited to get your opinion, one with your podcast, The Large Shout. I know you guys give a great view on the Canucks and other stuff. And I'm excited to talk about the Canucks in this episode I know you're from the Vancouver area. Is that why you're a big time Canuck fan? Just watch them growing up, seeing them progress or is there something else more to it?
1: Uh, No, I mean, that's pretty much it. Born and raised in South Vancouver. I mean, playing hockey all my life as well. Uh, you know, in the streets and uh, in minor hockey league, and as also coaching the game and, and also refing the game, I just gained an appreciation and love and have a, such a passion for the game itself. So the local team, the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, joining fandom, you know, around the age when they were in that '94 Cup run final, you know, I was nine years old, I think. Uh, that was special, and getting to meet the players. I mean, my mom took us to the parade after they lost in Game Seven at BC Place. So, um, you know, being a part of that. Was special and you know, seeing the players practice, Trevor Linden meeting him outside uh, the agrodome there uh, at Playland, uh, you know, all those kind of special moments in their childhood kind of created this special bond with the team, and you know, and mostly because that's the local team that was in this market. But uh, all those things considered, yeah, huge Canucks fan.
0: No, that makes sense. I re- remember I didn't really get hockey in too late, I started getting more after the 04 run when the Flames went on the playoff, they didn't win the cup, but just the excitement around the city. Now, I'm not a Flame fan, but just that excitement around. <laughs> around the city you hear the thing going on you want to be a part of the energy so i could imagine how that really gets you excited i want to get into this season there's mm-hmm. three five and one no it early just not hit the panic button but I would have to say there are things to be concerned about. I think the big one is Travis Green. I would have to say he's inching very close to hot seat at this point. Would you agree or no?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I might even be driving this bus here, but uh, like, I think Travis is a decent coach in some respects, but you know, there are certain things in his game that just annoy me. And some of them are quite obvious. Um, for example, the bench minor situation. I mean, how many NHL coaches uh, have this on their resume where they're finishing top three in the league back-to-back years in terms of number of bench minor penalties called. So that's just embarrassing, I think, from an NHL coaching standpoint. And then I was looking at a few other things even today. I was just kind of thinking about Travis Green a a bit. Uh, One thing that kind of interests me is why he caters to the veterans so much. much So in fact, that it comes at the cost at the behest of some of these younger players. Uh, these rookies um, that don't get a shot in the Travis Green systems. Um, I think maybe potentially it's part of his AHL coaching repertoire where you know down in that league, you form some type of dependency on some of your NHL veterans that come through or former NHL players that fall short of the current NHL rosters. They're still miles ahead of some of these kids in the AHL that haven't quite made the NHL or looking to make the NHL. And so you develop this trust with these veteran players. And maybe from that point, when he came to the, the NHL, uh, that could be the reason why he favors Alex Chason, for example, so much over somebody like Pacolson, who could also be a net front presence or uh, leaving Chason on your power play one over somebody like Brock Besser. I mean, Brock Besser has been one of the leading scorers in Canucks Nation here for, for the past several years and uh, one of the best players on the team. Uh, last year, he might have been the best player, uh, the MVP of the team, and you're leaving him off your power play one. It doesn't make sense to me.
0: I agree there because the other thing I want to say a guy like Tanner Pearson why is he still on the second line at this point when you have guys now like Connor Garland Neil Hoaglander had a good year last year who can really show he can play the, in the top six and you talked about Feli and I was looking for him he's only maybe got 10 minutes of ice time throughout this year and he's very skilled Get him out there when you need a goal to create something, but he doesn't want to do it. It's just mind-baffling. The one thing I don't like about Green is he relies too heavily on his goaltending to bail him out. This was a lot when Jacob Marks was a goalie. He yeah. had to be a star every night. Thatcher Damko is a very yeah. good goalie, will be a top goalie in the league. You don't want to get a point where you're putting your goalie. You have to build. They have to bail you out every night because that reminds me a lot of Toronto under Babcock, where Freddie Anderson had to bail them out. You make the playoff; they're tired. It's just not a rest recipe for long-term success. What Green's no. doing in that case,
1: yeah, and I think it's a byproduct of Green's system, like you alluded to. It's just something that happened with Mark and also is continuing now. Uh, happened last year. Uh, his system seemed to to allow a lot of uh, shots against. He tends to keep teams to the outside, and he did that against Vegas and. You know, lock it down, clog the middle and just kind of allow these peripheral shots to come through. And, and it ends up being a lot of shots that, that are generated. But the problem is he hasn't changed the system to the current landscape. And, and other teams have, have scouted him, um, learned to adapt in terms of how to play the Canucks. And so, you know, you look at Travis Green right now, you're seeing some of the sa- same breakdowns. And, and what's happening are other teams are now taking advantage of the lanes that Travis, his system gives you, especially on the outside. And you see them containing the puck in the offensive zone for for longer periods of time, just kind of using the outside, kind of like the Sedins back in the day, cycling the puck down low, but also on the half wall. And I don't see many adjustments to to counteract that from Green, and I don't know if he is capable. Um, But you look at somebody like Brad Shaw, who's also there, I mean, I'm sure he's capable of breaking it down, but how much room is Travis Green giving Brad Shaw to make changes to his overall system? You know, does Travis believe in his system so much uh, that he won't allow certain tweaks that would fundamentally change the system, and and so you you wonder how much of an influence Bradshaw actually has on the systems in place, and whether Travis Green you know is flexible in that regard. But yeah, it's just. Uh... Even for example, the neutral zone against Edmonton—that was another. That first period, you know,
0: they were just. It, that was embarrassing. Yeah, it was like if it wasn't for Damco's play in that first period, or even in the third period, the game would have been way out of reach at that point.
1: Oh, as a fan, it's just frustrating to watch because you know you, you look at the team that we we have here and how much offensive like firepower exists in the lineup, but isn't being utilized or isn't you know some of it. Obviously, the blame falls onto the players themselves, but. At the end of the day, I mean, a big question coming into the season regarding Travis Green was, would he be able to extract that offense from an offensive lineup? Because in years past, he never had this many players,
0: exactly. uh,
1: top-end players and players that could generate offense. He never had these guys. So it's a big question, and I, I don't see it answered yet. The Canucks are, what, 28th in goals for per game, and that's embarrassing at this point. Their power play is 20th. Um, you know, defensively, they're, they've they allowed the 10th fewest goals per game. So it's nothing to do with the defense itself i mean the system is actually kind of working if you look at it that way it's just but
0: they're not getting those it's not cohesive
1: with the offensive side yeah
0: i would have to say i look at green he could get the can at some point this year because i can imagine with everything benning did in the offseason the pressure on him as well if they don't make the playoff i could see both gone green first for a coaching change if they do make it the guy that comes to mind i would think be a perfect fit is boost boudreaux he yep. knows what to do with offensive play. We saw what he did in his first year in Washington, Anaheim, Minnesota. Yep. I hear that Florida might take him between him and Tortorella, but yep. hard to say. The other guy I could see a possibility of becoming head coach would be Claude Julian, because He's an yep. experienced coach. He had that connection with Banning from the time in Boston. I think an experienced coach could help this team get to the next level as well.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on both of those names. Um, you know, the, the thing about Claude Julien that kind of strikes a little bit of fear in me is uh, the the former coach of the team that beat you in the Stanley Cup Finals coming in to coach. You know, like Mike Keenan, it didn't really work too well with him. I mean, arguably, uh, some of the moves he made long term kind of worked out. Uh, but um, with Julien and Boudreau, both of these guys are uh, known commodities in the NHL coaching world and are you know destined pro- to be back in the game at some point. Um, can you say the same thing about Travis Green if he is let go? I mean, is he destined or on the radar to be an NHL coach again anytime soon? I mean, I, I, you can say yes or no, but looking at his coaching record, it's not something that's, you know, ultimately desirable. And it's kind of on par with Willie D there. Uh, actually, it might even be worse. At, I, have, I have to look at the numbers. I the feel updated like it's numbers. getting to
0: that level now, Willie. Yeah, it is. Even in the last few games, they've been down by a few goals. Why is Green not putting out his best players?
1: Yeah. Billy uh, Jordan
0: was infamous for that, not putting the twins, the Dean twins out when you need a goal. And I think in the final couple of minutes against Edmonton, they didn't have the top guys out there. Not even the not even the second line out there. Like your third guy out there in the offensive line, it's like you need a goal. You need some offense.
1: Yeah, and also, you know, the way he uses his lines in the third period, he kind of really goes top heavy. And uh, how much of the fatigue factor is, is at play there? You know, because you bench guys like pacolesen who don't deserve to be benched and, and other players like the fourth line i mean they they, they can take up some valuable minutes uh, and allow your top players to recover and go out on, you know, more dominant shifts, for example. And sometimes you don't see the Canucks applying that type of pressure in the third period, you know, that, that you typically should see teams, especially at home with the, the fans in the building, you know, just kind of generating uh, and just trying to fight and claw their way back into a game if they're down and you don't see that. And so
0: we're getting that yeah. last change out there where you can get the better matchup, but on nice icing call.
1: Yeah, I mean, just doing little things like that, and you don't really see Travis do too many of those types. I mean, I'd, I'd have to you'd have to look really closely at the matchups going on, and you know, I'm sure he there is line matching going on, but you know, looking at look at teams like Boston, for example, they have a ton of set plays off of face offs. When is the last time you really saw any set plays from the Canucks off of draws? I mean, those are small details in a game that can take a team from one level to the next, just the impact of coaching. And so I think maybe he's better suited to be an assistant and guys like you mentioned, Buduro, known to unlock the offensive potential of a team. You know, it hasn't got it done in the playoffs, but... At the same time, you, you know that you
0: gotta make, it, though, the, the you gotta make of- it
1: to the playoffs and you gotta you gotta play the hand that you're dealt. And the Canucks have been dealt a very offensively kind of talented, gifted team here, and they haven't been able to extract that. So you match up a guy like Bruce Boudreau who can do that offensively. And you line them up and implement some of the systems and maybe even make Brad Shaw the interim head coach and have Boudreaux come in as an associate under him. Whatever way it works, but you can have a, a defensive guru on one end and his systems, and then you have the offensive guru kind of, uh, you know, mesh and coalesce those systems together. And maybe it works for this team, but you wouldn't be able to put Brad Shaw or Claude Julian under Brad Shaw. So if no. Julian comes in, he'd have to be the head coach. And so, but either way, I just think uh, Travis himself, he's heading towards that territory of not really being a, a good NHL head coach coach in the league and so we'll find out at the 20 game mark i think uh, 20 to 25 um what the canucks record looks like at that point and if it's sub 500 i think travis Green is done
0: i think the urgency is there now because you look at calgary and edmonton they're just flying out of the gate right here you look at a team like vegas they have their injuries but don't impact you're going to come back seattle's kind of in the mix anaheim they're hot right now i kind of think they're going to fall off la kind of out of it now but san jose if San Jose keeps up their strong play, it's going to be very hard for the Canucks to kind of get back in that race because they're already dealing with a tough central division who probably will take both wild card spots that you're fighting for a top three and you're competing with Vegas and San Jose at this point, playing some good hockey. It's going to be hard.
1: It's going to be very difficult. And uh, th- typically they say by the, by December 1st, if you're not in a playoff spot, then um, you rarely make the playoffs. And so uh, you don't want to be out of a playoff spot at that point. And, you know, the 20 game mark is November 24th. So, you know, 20 to 25 games, if the Canucks are not looking good and, and not in a playoff spot, well, yeah, even if they fire Travis Green, and bring in another coach it may not be good enough to save the season and you know they'd have to go on a really like strong sustainable run in the second half of the season and i believe this team can do it you have a guy like thatcher demko in net i believe this team can turn it around it's just going to be difficult if you're uh, sub 500 out of a playoff spot at that point you know december 1st so in my opinion i would give travis 20 games and And turn it around if he's not, or, you know, go in a different direction and bring in a new voice. But uh, I can see them waiting 20 to 25 and then going from there. But tell you what, if it takes that long and the season doesn't turn around, well, not only is Travis out of town, but Jim is going to be following him. Jim and John are going to be following him (laughs) out of town.
0: I see more Benning and John Weidman being getting fired near more of the offseason.
1: Yeah. They would it wouldn't be an in-season move no. for the gyms, but, but uh, yeah. Definitely no. <laughs>
0: if they missed, they would be fired. But the one thing I think that really I don't think it's concerned but a little bit of a struggle. Lee is Patterson. Oh man. If, it's, it's tough this, to watch. He is tough to watch. Now I did talk to someone about the thing. Patterson really hadn't played that much since last April. He missed training camp. He only played about a few games. That could be a factor on what is happening do you think he will turn it around or do you think these struggles are going to continue long-term? Cause I got to believe he's too good of a player for this to continue.
1: You know, I've seen a uh, Pedersen in Danzer at Rogers a few times. It's tough to watch him uh, struggle to generate and just watching his body language. It's unfortunate because you know, you want him to succeed. You want to see him unleash his potential again, get back to his full capabilities, full arsenal. And, you know, part of me wonders how healthy that wrist is. I mean, he's come out and said, it's fine. The trainers and everybody is telling us it's fine. But if you've ever had a wrist injury, if you know people or, you know, about former stars who've had wrist injuries, they can be nagging for a long time.
0: Like Brock and, Besser, for example. When yeah. Like down, Besser, like, for
1: example. And sometimes these wrist injuries, look at Austin Matthews too. He hasn't returned to form. You don't see him sniping anymore coming off a wrist injury so you know petterson last year they said he was close to returning and then all of a sudden it was a 180 and he was done for the year that's probably because he aggravated the injury and so uh, i wonder if it's fully healthy maybe it's 90 percent, but even that is sometimes enough to throw a star off and so um can petterson get back to where he is absolutely but uh you know all these things considered he just you wonder uh, and also this is where coaching comes into play i mean you know, the right players in a game that you see, you know, every game you see a player like he's is, is hot, right? And then you want that player to get as many minutes as possible because he's, you know, bringing the building to life. He's, he's bringing your team to life. He's he's leading the charge. Well, those are the types of players sometimes uh, after a period or two, you might want to put together with Pedersen and, and just to help jumpstart him too, right? Um, sometimes you don't see... Travis doing a lot of that he kind of some of his line matching and is just rolling his lines in general you know it it doesn't show you a willingness to to try to get this guy going even put him with a guy like Bo Horvat who is the engine of the team you know he's a left shot put take Pearson off of Bo Horvat's line for what more than one shift Travis yeah and and, and line up Pedersen on the left side of Horvat and and Besser have we ever seen that line combination
0: They have the ability because Green has shown he can go to Miller at center. So if you're going to mix and match, give it a try. See if it's going to work or not to get
1: something going. Just got to, you know, sometimes I wonder how much of this is is on Pedersen and how much of it is on the coaching systems and play because the entire, not just Pedersen, but all these stars are struggling to score. Um, The Canucks are barely possessing the puck in the offensive zone they're in and out in like a fast food chain. You know, that you see them come in, take a shot. It's a weak shot, pucks out of the zone. And next thing you know, we're, we're playing defense for another minute or two. It's just, um, you know, you miss kind of miss the days of the Sedin cycling the puck for three minutes, four minutes at so a time. Exactly. You know, we don't see this type of possession oh. anymore in our offensive zone. Maybe it's something to do with the, the way he, he tends to cater to dump and chase. Uh, I think, a team like the Canucks should be striking fast off the rush yes. um, a lot more than they are. I think they, they should have the
0: be... ability to make play. They can go in the office zone to put the pressure on the team to get them backing, not to, not for them to chip it in, to get chased. And the next thing you know, you get lined up for a guy like we game against Edmonton, for example, a guy like darn on earth waiting, beat you to the Pog Pots and just going to yeah. nail you there. And that's just going to cause problems.
1: So it's uh, exactly like you said, I mean, uh, and there are a lot of problems with, with the, the way the team is playing right now. And you can't, you know, you can't solve these overnight. This, um, there are some things uh, fundamentally that need to be changed with the players. And, uh, you know, a lot of these players need to maybe come together and have a players-only meeting and, and just figure out a way to wake this team up and bring the energy out, uh, play with a bit more desperation because a desperate team is, is tougher to play against. And and 100%. you don't see that right now out of the players. So that then you start to wonder, are they playing to get Travis Bean fired even? You know, it's kind of ridiculous, but... Um, sometimes that could be true in the sporting world I don't think that's the case here i I don't feel that is that's true but but just um, something
0: not connecting there were
1: well there's something that's missing and and in the earlier
0: know, year, in the early I would say green second year when the Sadines left, the teams would play for him. they would have a little bit of hard nose now it's feeling like. I don't know if it's just some leniency or just over time, they're just cheating ch- ch- the system just to make it a little bit easier on themselves. I would doubt that, but well, well, Kevin BX said it best. Right I think
1: there. Kevin BX said it best on the panel. I think there's no team identity right
0: now. Exactly.
1: And that's like true words have not been spoken. I mean, that that's what the case is here. You don't see uh, where's the heart, where's the soul of this team? Like what's going to bring them together uh, for them to, to go on a run here. And you don't see any sign or hope of anything in that regard. And it's kind of, It's early, you know, you don't want to hit the panic button, but even though it's early in this league and the competitive atmosphere that you see now, how hard it is to make the playoffs, uh, there's no longer uh, such a thing as as just wait and be patient. You have to be urgent and you have to show uh, signs of life to give this fan base some reasons to believe again. I mean, uh, you shouldn't stop believing. You should always hope for the best, but even the most optimistic person in the world, um, you know, sometimes doubt can creep in. Uh, oh, and, and this is at that point here. You know, nine games. You know, the Rangers are hot right now. What's yeah. gonna What's it gonna What's it gonna be the response against the Rangers? Three straight losses at home to open your homestand. Uh, first games in over what close to six hundred days. Yeah, this is and- not. It's not pretty. <laughs> Something's gotta change.
0: And I don't know if this comes to more of the team's ability where they don't have any grit or toughness where the, the pushback for the players. I know losing Zach McEwen on waiver is a huge loss for this team because he was that kind of guy. But it kind of goes back to the, the day with Sadins where they didn't have someone to stand up. But I feel it's even more now where this team doesn't have any toughness to protect them or yep. get them going.
1: Yeah. That's why, you know, losing a guy like McEwen kind of hurts you. You know, he was uh, winning the, winning a lot of his fights recently, showing uh, the ability to to step in there and mix it up for and step in there for his teammates. You know, there's a reason Philadelphia picked him up because they love playing with that type of grit and intensity and, and that is their identity. But for a long time, the Canucks have not had that toughness. I think the last time we had that toughness was with Dorsett uh, in the lineup and there's luke shen is, is not a, a mainstay on you know on this team so he's in and out of the lineup you don't have anybody else when he, once he leaves jt miller he's a big guy plays he's strong fight. he's a power forward but he's yeah. not the type of guy you want stepping in there and throwing it down or you do like to see him throw hits and he does but you need more than that and that's why i was hoping for a guy like william lockwood i mean he's out i think injured right now yeah. uh, close to a return but the way he played in camp, the intensity he showed... He
0: brings another element to the he team. Brings that he brings speed
1: means. and explosiveness, but he also has that toughness. And I can't wait to see him, you know, in the lineup here. And I hope he, he joins the team soon because they need some of that. They needed something to jumpstart them. You know, they're not flatlining yet, but they're close to it. And and uh, you don't want to go much further without that urgency. You know, I keep saying that it's, it's necessary it to win. True? and
0: you need it at this point, you can't you fall behind. Look at a team like Arizona, Chicago, and LA, they're so they're kind of out of it at this point. Unless you get a hot run like 10 games or so, it's gonna be hard. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time coming on the episode today, giving your insight on the team so far. Before I let you go, I'd like to yep. ask anyone to join us what's your favorite moment of the team you cheer for for the Canucks? Burry's 94 winner, Burroughs. 2011 overtime winner or Adams game five. winner? I know those are the big ones for Canucks. So we're talking strictly
1: on ice only
0: on and off ice. We can say,
1: well, on ice, you know what? I, I, all those moments were magical, obviously watching it on TV, Uh, but being there live is always going to take precedence. I mean, it's always going to hit you harder. And for me, the best moment was game five of the Stanley cup finals in 2011 uh, me and my brother were at the game we got last second tickets uh you know 450 dollars <laughs> row 50 <laughs> row 50 uh you know in the in the back so we stood the whole game uh just like we do the large rider section so you know it was nothing bad it was such a great experience and You know, watching Maxim Lapierre uh, do his little dance after he scored that goal. That was amazing. And, you know, the entire building was live. After that, I think everybody thought just we were going to win. You know, it was just a magical experience. And and the, the spirit of Vancouver came alive only to be sucked right out of us a few days later. But let's not go there. Let's leave it at that. that, That's a great memory.
0: (laughs) It is absolutely true. Well, Tash, and I appreciate you taking the time coming on this episode. We'll see what happens with the Canucks later on. Maybe we'll have a follow-up episode later if you're available. But thank you so much for joining us today.
1: No worries, Randy. Take care. Good night.